Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back to the program again this week, and I uh, thank you again for joining us every week at the same time, and uh, I trust you're enjoying the program. Uh, when you're watching us, if you don't mind, if you could just take a moment to go to our website, and there, there is a, uh, on the screen uh, is the address of our website, and send us a email of where you're watching us from so we can be good stewards of where we're putting our money at, what television networks we need to be spending money on, and that kind of thing really helps us. Uh, I want to also just thank you for tuning in and sharing with your friends about us and, and our ministry, and I want to let you know that if you've missed any the programs that you can go back or you just discovered us in a hotel and you say, well, I don't have this uh, channel at home on my home uh, television. Does it come in on my cable or my satellite? Uh, you can always watch us anywhere on demand on YouTube, and we have our own channel there, and if you simply go to my website, there is a direct link from our website to my YouTube channel, and you can watch anything that we have aired to date is there on demand for your convenience to watch. There's also there an iTunes uh, podcast with the audio portion of this, uh, of all of our shows, all of our programs, so that you can stream that in your automobile, or you can listen to it uh, on your with your headphones in when you're jogging or walking or whatever, and you can just kind of enjoy the Word of God and redeem the time. And so that is available to you uh, for free by simply going there and subscribing to our YouTube page. Thank you for watching. Uh, like I said, we've been dealing with some things. Uh, last week we began a series out of the book of Daniel. And we were talking about, I'll just go ahead and read the text again, and then we'll jump in the word. But this is from Daniel chapter number one. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, to, to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Asphenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and the king's seed, and the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well favored, and skillful in all wisdom, and cunning in knowledge, and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat, and of the wine which he drank, so he nursed them three years, and at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not devile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king who hath appointed your meat and your drink, for why should I see, or why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then you shall make me endanger my head to the king. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Prove thy service, I beseech thee these ten days. Let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. 
and then let our countenances be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat, and as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he consented to them in this matter and proved them ten days. At the end of ten days their countenance appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine and that, they should, uh, that they should drink and gave them pulse. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he, would, he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king, and all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all of the magicians and the astrologers that were in all of his realm. And Daniel continued even under the first year of King Cyrus. Now, uh, I want to just come back here and, and just unpack several things. Last week when we were sharing with you uh, to kind of set the stage, we just kind of showed you how that when you are reading the Bible, and you read Daniel, and you read Ezekiel, and you read Jeremiah, and you read, you know, like Haggai and, and Zechariah, and some of these books of the Bible, because they are clear over here towards what we call the minor and major prophets. We don't understand that the context of their, uh, uh, where they are at in history, or their contemporaries, is they are fitting in with the books of Chronicles, with the books of Ezra, with the books of Nehemiah. And so these prophetic things that are happening here are really in fulfillment. I shared with you out of 2 Chronicles chapter 36 that what was happening and the reason they are in Babylonian captivity is because they did not keep Sabbath and they had polluted their lands with idolatries. Now what I showed you was that under the king of Babylon, he seized them and uh, they were carried away into captivity. That, this is the fulfillment. Where these guys are in the captivity. When you see 2 Chronicles chapter 36, and the king of Babylon has seized them and carried them away captive. 2 Chronicles 36 said it was be until the land would enjoy its Sabbaths. Now what I begin to show you is that, you know, uh, first of all, the Sabbath is more than just a day of the week. The Sabbath in the New Covenant is more than just taking a nap on whatever day you worship. The Sabbath is entering into the rest of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Colossians again, chapter 2 said, Let no man judge you in respect to meat or drink or of a new moon or of a Sabbath day, which things are only a shadow. The fulfillment, however, or the reality, however, is found in Christ. In other words, Christ is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. Christ is our Sabbath. He is where we find rest. Come to me. You know, I, I wrote a book, like I, I mentioned this last week. My third book is titled The Unforced Rhythms of Grace. And it's from the viewpoint of all the miracles that Jesus did on the Sabbath day were uh, 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 what flows out of his finished work. And we talked about how it's just handpicked by the Holy Spirit. A great deal of the miracles that he does, he does it on the Sabbath. In other words, he does more from the posture of rest than we've ever accomplished through the works of labor and sweat and human performance. That's Babylonian captivity. That's the analogy or that's the parallel that I want to draw in this next segment is that this Babylonian captivity, uh, you know, first of all, uh, is connected to 
the works and labor of a system that makes slaves and servants out of you. It is a system that steals your identity. Uh, as I said, you know, let me, let me just, before I uh, get too sidetracked, say this again. You know, when I wrote this book, Unforced Rhythms of Grace, I took several of the miracles and I showed how, for instance, Jesus finds a woman who's bowed to the earth. And he comes to her and he says, ought not this woman who is a daughter of Abraham be loosed from this infirmity on the Sabbath? That to me, to just make a real quick analogy, speaks of the woman who is the church, who's been bowed over. In other words, we've been taught to face the realm of the earth. The face, the, we've, we, we've been focused on doom, despair, and the dust realm of Adam's fallenness, how big the devil is, how bad things are around us, put our emphasis on all of our failures, all of our weaknesses, and all of our past. See, that's bowed to the earth. But Jesus comes to that woman on the Sabbath day, and he, number one, reiterates her identity. He says, ought not this woman, who is a daughter of Abraham, be loosed from this infirmity on the Sabbath? See, I believe the moment you start to realize your identity, you're going to lift your head out of the realm of the earth and say, listen, I'm the seed of Abraham, and because I'm the seed of Abraham, I've got a right to the covenant promises that God made to Abraham. And, I, you know, you say, well, you know, I, I, he was talking to that historical, natural uh, seed of Abraham lady. Yes, he was historically there. But in the New Testament, Galatians chapter 3 says that uh, God made a promise. Uh, you know, he said that the law was added until, until the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And then he says, not to seeds as of many, but to one seed and thy seed, which is Christ. And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You can give your inheritance away if you want to. That's up to you. But I just came to tell you as a believer, you're the seed of Abraham. And because you're the seed of Abraham, you have a right to the miraculous hand of God. I believe we'd see a whole lot more miracles if we just preached some stuff that would bring people faith. I think we've been like the children of uh, uh, Israel here in the book of Daniel. We've been fed so much Babylonian baloney, Babylonian beans I call it, we got on the wrong diet to the point where we are lacking because we're not feeding on the right thing. But I believe God's raising up a people in this hour that are going to be like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're not going to bow to the king's command, and they're not going to keep on feeding the, the Babylonian baloney that's fed to them. They're going to begin to feed from the finished work of the Sabbath day, the rest of God, and it's going to bring us forth up out of the religious confusion and the religious bondage and it would bring us into a glorious liberty and a glorious rest, and out of that rest, everything flows. Again, when I wrote Unforced Rhythms of Grace, it comes from really uh, Matthew 11, where Jesus says, especially in the Message Bible, He says, all the law and the prophets prophesied until John. They culminated with John. And up until then, violent men seized the kingdom by force. But he said that all culminated with John. In other words, that's how you did it under an old covenant paradigm, is you had to force and seize and take it by force. And the last verse of Matthew 11, he says this in the King James, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's not talking to drug dealers or prostitutes on the street. He's talking to people who have tried to take the kingdom by force or who tried to seize it based on human performance. 
He says it like this in the Message Bible, Matthew 11. Are you tired? Are you weary? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me and I'll show you how to take a real rest. Work with me. Walk with me. See how I do it. I will teach you the unforced rhythm of grace. So in the New Covenant, uh, you, 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 you don't access the kingdom through Old Covenant righteousness. You know, I've preached the kingdom since I was 16 years old. And I've been around a lot of kingdom camps, and myself, even in the early days, I preached accessing this kingdom and all of the blessings of the kingdom through an old covenant righteousness that when you keep all the rules and the regulations and you keep all of the, cross all the T's and dot all the I's of the old covenant, then you're, you're going to enter the kingdom. But see, that's really not, that's, that's old covenant paradigm. In the old covenant, you access the kingdom through performance-based righteousness. But in the new covenant, righteousness is not based on your performance. It's based on a gift because of the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. We can reign in life by one Christ Jesus. That's right now reigning. That's kingdom stuff. The moment I realized that it took all of this, uh, you know, the kingdom's way out in some distant future, barely only a few, you know, people were ever going to be able to access this thing. And it put it right within the reach of people who I believe you know, have reached for it and thought they had to take it by force and human sweat and labor. And did I do everything right? Have I kept every rule? Have, you know, and what happens is it just ends up just what Matthew 11 says, tired, weary, and burned out on religion. I'm talking to somebody out there today. I know I am. You fought, scratched, and tried. You know, what I want to simply tell you to do is enter into a revelation of the finished work of Jesus. Major on what Jesus did in his redemptive work and start feeding on that. See, instead of the Babylonian beans, maybe you need to eat more lamb. Maybe you need to see what happened to the children of Israel when they came up out of the bondage of Egypt. They sat down at their table in the middle of the night and they began to eat the lamb, the whole lamb, the head, the legs, the pertinence. When they got enough lamb in their belly, Something hit them about midnight that said, I can't live in this bondage any longer. And they got up out of the Egyptian bondage and headed towards their promised land. See, I'm convinced that what we feed on is what's going to determine the outlook of our future or our, our peace, our joy. All of that goes with that is what are you feeding on? If what you're feeding on does not bring you into a faith or a confidence, see, I'm convinced that if you go to a church meeting and you leave there with a bunch of stuff to do, you probably did not hear the gospel. But if you leave there with something to believe, you probably heard the gospel. Now, what you believe will create a doing, but it won't be a doing in order to be. It will be a doing out of what you know you already are. In other words, if I believe I'm a new creature in Christ because of the finished work of Jesus, I'm going to act like a new creature in Christ. See, there's a lot of people saying stuff and preaching things that they really don't believe yet because I've seen people that, who preach the message of grace and the finished work of the cross and man, they just act crazy and uh, it's, I'm saying, you know, you're on your way but you're not there yet because when you really believe it, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and if you're not preaching something that produces faith in people, if it's not making believers out of them, See, constantly beating people down and telling them what they're not and what's wrong with them and how bad they are and what dirty, rotten scoundrels they are is not going to cause them to ever grasp hold of something that makes them believe and reach for something that's greater. 
But when you begin to teach them, you're a new creature in Christ. Here's what a new creature looks like. You begin to teach them, listen, you are sons of God. You're not servants or slaves. Now, that doesn't mean you don't serve. See, people are kind of getting extreme in everything anymore. It's like, okay, we're sons, we're royalty, we don't serve. Well, the truth of it is we are not slaves trying to become sons, but we are sons who do serve because Jesus taught us that he that would be the greatest among us would be the servant of all. But what I'm simply saying is the issue is all faith flows out of, or, or all sin flows out of a mistaken identity. For whatever is not of faith is sin. In other words, what if, if you're not living out of what you believe is true of your new creature, that's what missing the mark is. That's what the word sin means to miss the mark. So when you begin to teach people, and I, 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 man, I just really have majored in my ministry on bringing people back to their identity. See, the thing that I, that I said uh, earlier, uh, either the last program or the beginning of this one, is if I said to you out of this chapter, and I said to you, uh, if I said to you, who, who is Hananiah, who is Michelle, and who is Azariah, if I just walked out onto a platform and said, who is that in the Bible? Who do you think that is? I've done it several times preaching this recently. Say, so who is Hananiah? Who is, who is uh, uh, Michelle? Who is Azariah? And, and people are like, well, I don't know. But if I say, who is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Everybody goes, well, that's the three Hebrew children. But what we don't realize is that was their Babylonian name. That's what Babylon calls you. Babylon calls you these names, and they answer to those Babylonian names. Now, uh, Daniel was the only one that really seems to not answer to his Babylonian name. His name was Belteshazzar. That was his Babylonian name. But you really see him through the book of Daniel as being depicted as Daniel. Now you say, what's that? What's that? I think the important thing is what we're seeing is if you're sitting under Babylonian religious confusion, it's going to steal your identity. See, I believe that's one of the biggest things. I think that Adam in a garden of Eden 6,000 years ago, when the, when the serpent says to him, in the moment you get enough information, you can make yourself like God. If you eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you can make yourself like God and puts it on the basis of human performance. And the moment he eats that tree, he runs from God. He says, I'm naked. I'm ashamed. I need to hide. And, and what Adam should have done when the devil said to him, if you be the son of God, he should have turned around. And, or he, no, if he said, if, if you eat, get enough information, you can make yourself like God. What Adam should have said is, I was created in the image of likeness of God. I'm already like God. Get out of my face. But Adam believed the lie, and he became the first victim of identity theft. And the enemy to this day will try to form a weapon against you to get you to believe a lie of who you're not. He did it on Jesus in the middle of it. When the moment Jesus comes up out of the River Jordan, and the Father says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. When he does that, the devil comes to him immediately and says, if you be the son of God, command these stones to be turned into bread. I think even the typology there of the stones says, get your identity from the cold, hard stones of the law of Moses. Get your identity from rules on rocks. And Jesus turned around and said to the devil, man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And what Jesus is saying is, I refuse to eat this Babylonian baloney. I'm living by what dad just said. 
What did dad just say when he came up, when the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And the devil says, if you be the son of God. I think Jesus probably turned around and said to the devil, evidently you didn't hear what my daddy just said about me. You know, I think there are probably somebody listening to me right now, and you've, you, you've struggled with things in your life, and you've thought, well, you know, I can't be, I mean, this all sounds good preaching, but I can't be this because if I, I am, I wouldn't act like this. Let me tell you something. You just need to come back and revisit and feed on the truth of God's Word, and that's what will change your behavior your behavior is what you're feeding on. You'll be like the children of Israel. You'll get up in the middle of the night after eating lamb and say, I can't live in this bondage anymore. And I want to keep on feeding that to my audience. I want to keep on feeding that to God's people, not Babylonian confusion that deteriorates them and steals their identities and brings them back under, uh, uh, you know, Babylonian slavery here. But see, I believe people who believe God and believe who they are and don't lose their identity will rise to power. You know, one of the things that I want to get to if I'll have time in this particular segment is to tell you, here's four men, Daniel, Azariah, Mishael, and Hananiah, Daniel and the three children of, of, of the Hebrew children in Babylonian captivity in the middle of a bad if you will, captivity in the middle of a bad government, in the middle of a bad situation, God takes four men who've refused to eat the king's meat, and he raises them up to literally run the government of Babylon. I believe we're standing in an hour when God is really desiring to so build a revelation of who we truly are, that he could raise up some leaders right in the midst of the confusion that's going on even on our political arenas. I mean, it is so bad now and toxic that people, I'm almost afraid to even mention anything about politics because it's so toxic. But I mean, we're in such an environment where people don't know what to believe or who to believe or what's right and what's not right. But here's one of the things I believe, God wants to raise up some people who are going to not be feeding on the Babylonian beans that's being fed to us, either through religious systems or through other outlets of whether it's the news or whatever, but somebody's going to get before God and say, listen, we're here to change the circumstances of our environment. You say, well, it is bad out there. If that's your focus, then you're never going to change anything. But here's four men who got together and prayed. If Listen, that tells me the power of small and even the power of prayer is so profoundly important that God raised these men up in the middle of this kind of a situation to change the course of human history in the middle of a bad government, in the middle of captivity, in the middle of confusion, in the middle of all that looks like it's bad. God raised up three men who refused to let their identity be stolen, who refused to feed on Babylonian baloney, and God raised them up to change uh, the, the whole outset of the whole political climate that's around them. One of the things I want to point out as well during this segment is that it said that, that when the king sent for, the, you know, uh, that the king spoke to Asphenes, the master of the eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel of the king's seed to the princes. See, I believe in this hour God is wanting to raise up the king's seed, certain of the princes, sons of God. And I believe even raise him up, not just for ministry, but in all kinds of dimensions. Because he goes on and says, children in whom was no blemish, 
but well favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science and such as that ability to stand in the king's palace whom they might teach the learning in the tongue of the child. He's not looking for people who are couch potatoes. He's looking for people who've been equipped to do something. I really believe that one of the things that we've done a great disservice to is that we have taught a generation an escapism mentality and we have preached uh, to a point, uh, you know, I think especially in dispensationalism, and I'm not trying to be controversial here today, but we, we've taught people that they didn't have a future, and so we've lost our young people, and they're not going to school, uh, they're not finishing education. They think, what's the use? We don't have a future. Listen, if you think the ship is sinking, you're not going to polish the brass. But one day the church is going to wake up and realize this boat is not sinking, and we've got a whole lot of stuff to fix. I, you know, I, I'm trying not to be, uh, you know, too strong about this, but I've got to tell you, this is passionate to me, is I believe if we don't wake up and begin to tell our kids, you do have a future and that you are to get involved. And these guys had sci understanding and knowledge in science and, and they had uh, learning in wisdom and they were cunning in knowledge. They had some skills. Those are the people God is going to raise up. While we were telling our kids, listen, you don't have a future. Jesus could be back any minute. The world was raising politicians. The world was raising people with, with views that are not conducive to the kingdom of God. But I think somewhere there's a great awakening that's taking place, and there are some people whom God has kept of remnants of the seed that he's raising up that are getting some education, that are cunning in science. I believe we're going to see people begin to invade uh, all areas of human existence when we understand the kingdom. They're going to begin to, in, in, they're going to, begin to have influence, salt and light, if you will, in the education, in entertainments, in the financial arenas, in political things, in, uh, you know, uh, all kinds of stuff. See, I believe God gives us God dreams for the purpose of, uh, because they're God dreams. And he wants, listen, I, I believe God wants, there's people there that maybe you felt like somebody told you you had to be a preacher or a song leader to be uh, serving the kingdom. Man, you, you might uh, say, well, you know, I, I've got a dream to go be a lawyer. Let me just tell you, go be a lawyer. If that's your dream, do it. Equip yourself because God might just use you. Paul sent for one lawyer by the name of Zenos. He said, send Zenos the lawyer. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for godly lawyers, godly men in the judicial system, godly men and women. I, I shouldn't just say men, but godly men and women in all areas of influence. And I pray that there's somebody listening to me right now that's going to take this to heart and say, you know what, that's what's in my heart, and I want to go back to school. Go fulfill your dream. You might be the next Daniel, the next Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You might be the next one who stands before the king and says, listen, here's the word of the Lord, and this is what's going to happen. And let me tell you, God is raising up people just like that. And thank God he did in the days of Daniel as he raised up people that could influence the king and his decisions and what was going to take place in the future. And uh, I believe if there's ever a day that God wants to raise up people who will engage this harvest, and rather than evacuate the harvest, it's today. And I pray that God will stir that up in your heart today. We're about to run out of time, but before we do, let me just say quickly, 
Uh, take a moment if you can, if you are enjoying what you're hearing and what we're sharing with you is a blessing to you and you want to get behind it, become a partner with us today. You can go on our website and do that. You can give on our website via credit card. You could call the number on the screen. You can write to us uh, via the address that will be on the screen. There's a number of ways that you can do that. You can also do a one-time seed, sow it into our ministry because it helps us to take the gospel of the kingdom around the world. Opportunities are everywhere. The only hindrance is finances. You can be a part of helping us do that. God bless you for watching. Thank you for joining us. I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.